I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, on a head to head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas, my trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 361 of Low Limit Football on this 9th of July, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, El Trafico sees LAFC increase their league lead at the top of the table with a 3-2 victory over the LA Galaxy. Paul Pogba and Angel Di Maria arrive at the J Medical for their exams prior to joining Juventus. Spurs continue their run of transfer window Greatness adding Clement Lenlay from Barcelona. Gabriel Jesus moves into the top five of high, highest or most expensive transfers this summer, moving from City to Arsenal and then immediately delivering a brace in the preseason match against FC Nuremberg. And Barcelona still looking to bring in Robert Lewandowski from Bayern Munich as the German Giants join the race to acquire Juve's Matthias Delict. We're going to discuss that and much, much more on tonight's show. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm doing well, Joe. I'm doing well. Obviously, we're right into the heat of summer. And like I had mentioned beforehand, it sucks that we don't have a major competition. Well, of course, the Women's Euros is happening. The Copa America for the women's game is also happening as well during this time. But this is the time of where the silly season becomes really, really silly if you want to go into uh, insane mode, more or less. And obviously, we have a lot of preseason games happening now for a lot of these teams, getting their their tours all around the world happening. And as quickly as we know it, uh, Joe, the season's about to start soon. Hard to believe it that in about a month's time, yeah. a lot of the European seasons are going to start and start very early as it is going to be a, a very weird season right before the, the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah, it's it's all coming fast. I mean, it seemed like we got this nice little quiet lull and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, obviously the transfer window itself is very entertaining. But like you said, we have the Women's Euro. I did get a chance to catch a couple minutes of the, uh, the Germany-Denmark game yesterday, 4-0 for Germany in that one. Um, you know, we've got that going on right now. Uh, we've got, uh, like you said, the women's Copa Libertadores down in South America going on right now as well. So there are, there are major competitions going on at the moment. 
uh, and then we have qualifying for the World Cup, um, or actually for the uh, U20 World Cup and the uh, the Olympics as well going on, um, with the United States qualifying for, for both, uh, for Women's World Cup and for the U20 uh, Olympics. So there are there are little pockets of, of major things going on, as well as the entertaining transfer window, the silly season that, that you and I both love, um, and, and then moving forward. So, uh, you know, I think the earliest they start, I want to say it's August 8th, is uh, when the seasons are actually starting in, in some of the leagues in Europe. So, yeah, it's going to be at as fast. It's going to be a very strange season as they all shut down before we get to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar um, and uh, and close out the year, the, the calendar year, and, and move into 2023. So let's, let's jump into it. I, I know that we don't have a guest. You and I, um, in fact, you and I didn't even expect to do a show this, this month um, as you and I are both away quite a bit. Um, but we, we were able to, to actually find a little pocket of space here. So we were able to just join each other and, and chit chat for a little bit. Let's jump into the first thing. And, and of course, as a Juventino, this is the one that is closest to me. Um, and it's the, uh, the ongoing transfer saga of Matthias Delict, who will possibly, and, um, more than likely probably be moving on from Juventus. The question is where he's going to land. Now, uh, reports that we've seen over the past, uh, I would say 48 hours, are showing that uh, Juve is is looking for a lot of money, and I and I've been saying this all along. If they're going to sell uh, a 22 year old top defender, you know, I, I don't want to call him world class, but certainly on that trajectory, um, they're going to move him. They're going to move him for a lot of money, especially given that they lost uh, Demerol to Atalanta, who exercised their option to buy clause. Uh, Giorgio Chiellini, who did not appear in El Tráfico last night, but uh, has moved on as well. You know, this this leaves Bonucci, Rugani and Delict. And and obviously, if they're going to move him, they're going to need to move him a for a lot of money because they paid 65 million euro for him when they brought him over from Ajax a couple years ago. So they're going to want to recoup that money. They're also going to need to go out and buy somebody and somebody that is going to be of, of top quality. And we'll talk about that part of it in a minute. So they're going to ask for a lot of money. I've been saying I think that number is somewhere in the 80 million euro mark. Some people have called me crazy for that. But here we are. Um, Chelsea are looking to pay up to seventy million at the moment. There's there's been negotiations going on. There have been offers of players. Some have said Jorginho. Some have said Christian Pulisic uh, coming on, which sparked a uh, Pulisic Chiesa discussion between you and me last week. Um, but now Bayern Munich have stepped into the mix. They're offering a little less money, but um, but they're likely to go up to seventy million. Juve are going to ask for all of that and then some. And Juve made it pretty clear they don't want a player. They want cash because they're going to need to, A, balance the books, and B, go out and get somebody to replace that spot. So um, when you look at it from the Bayern standpoint, now that they've jumped into the mix, they it, it's incredibly intriguing because they have Dio Upamakano, who they brought in from Leipzig last year. And the idea of a 22-year-old center back and a 23-year-old center back both playing together at Bayern Munich you know, and we're not talking about just slouches. We're talking about top quality center backs. It's it's an impressive thing that would be building at Bayern Munich if they do make that move, especially given you know how young they are with uh, Alfonso Davies. They've they've got other pieces coming in. They've brought Sadio Mane in, although he's not young. Certainly dynamic. Um, Bayern just seems to always do it right, and. I think Chelsea should be worried about the ability to uh, replace Antonio Rudiger with Matthias Delict. They're going to really have to come with some money, and I think this all pans out well for Juventus. Um, Roberto, I want to know, now that I've given you a, a, an incredible word salad on what I think about this move, <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, it, it's very interesting. It, it really is a, a, a kind of a big poker deal, you would say, for Delic. The fact that I think all the chips are really in the hands of both Bayern Munich and Chelsea, and I think it's up to them to whether or not they want to use it. Like you said, <clears throat> Chelsea are willing to pay 70 to 90 million euros, but there haven't been in really any talks. Whereas for for Bayern Munich, there clearly is that interest from the lake, and they're willing to pay around 55 to, to 80 million, but I think they likely will get around 70. Now, this is obviously still below the demands of what Juve want with 80 to 120 million. And even though both Chelsea and Bayern do want to offer some players, like you said, they want straight cash. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. I think obviously this is a Juventus team that is really rebuilding, that they're getting some players in and they're they're getting some players out in this case and trying to rebuild back to the way that they've always been dominant and, and rightly so. But um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out because, like I, like I said beforehand, Bayern Munich don't really spend that much money. They, they do spend the outliers of, a, of an 80 million. I think the, the big one was obviously Lucas Hernandez mm-hmm. when he left Atleti to go to Bayern Munich. But before that, they're not really into the spendings of always spending that much money. You know, there's 60, 70, 80 millions on a yearly basis, I would say. So for Bayern to really, you know, use the, take out the purse strings and really get a player like him is, is, is sensible. I mean, like you said, 22-year-old defender isn't exactly world-class. But then again, how many I mean, defenders at his age are world-class and have the experience that he's had since he was a teenager? So I... I I, I feel as if though Bayern should feel very confident in getting the money that they can they can um, that Juve want from him, but it's it's going to be the case of having to bargain really good and that Juventus are able to accept that. For Juventus standpoint, now the big question is who comes in because obviously now with that money, regardless of what they get, they can get someone for that amount of money to straighten that back line and I don't think they just need one Joe I think they might need two center backs because like you said you have a Bonucci that's not getting older Rugani who credit to him is a good player but is exactly not in the top class of a, of a Delic for example I, I think you know I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Juventus are going to be able to tackle this transfer window and be able to get these so-called great center backs uh, for their back line I agree. I totally agree w- with your point that uh, Juve need to need to bring in two, not one center back. They do need to bring two. I don't know that both center backs that they bring in would need to be world class. Um, you know, there's talk of Kalido Kulibali, who is uh, obviously the great Napoli defender. Uh, there's talk of him possibly coming to Juve. Uh, looks like De Laurentiis wants a-, a lot of money for him. I think Juve have offered somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty million to forty million euro. And I don't know that it's been enough to pry Koulibaly away from Napoli. At the same time, you know, Koulibaly is not getting younger either. So you start to wonder if that's going to be the right move for Juve or, you know, if they can do it smartly money-wise. I think you look back at what Juventus has done bringing in Paul Pogba and Angel Di Maria, although older, both of them, um, bringing them in on a fee saves them that that transfer money. The the money they're talking about paying Delic, though, um, for Bayern Munich, currently... According to, uh, and again, this is from uh, Emiya Sanmia. It's a, an account on Twitter um, with quite a bit of following with um, with Bayern Munich and with German uh, football news. Uh, they're saying that they're, according to uh, Skymark, uh, the Dutchman is set to earn 17 to 19 million euro gross per year from Bayern Munich, where his current salary at Juve is somewhere between 9 and 10 million euro. 
I mean, doubling his money is just an insane amount of money. And this is, I think, where Juve are kind of, you know, they're in a position when I when I look at the Pogba thing and the Di Maria thing, Di Maria comes in on a one year contract. I think Pogba's is either two or three years. Uh, you know, they're they're spending the money on the player, but not spending the money on the transfer fee. So it allows them to save that money. And I think, like like I said, the more money uh, Juve get for Delict, especially they've got to cover that sixty five million they spent on him. Then they uh, then they do get to go out and get two center backs. But I'm gonna you know I want to ask you do you do you think the Koulibaly thing happens if Delict goes and do you think do you think they need to get two world-class center backs moving into the next season? Well, I don't, I don't, like I said, this is more of a, of a you question in, in this case. But, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, going from Napoli to Juve, it doesn't happen a lot. And usually, if it does, it doesn't really come into big circumstances. I mean, the big one was obviously Iguain when he left for, for $100 million. But this is different. I think Koulibaly really has the affection and the support of, of the Napoli faithful. Now, obviously, we live in a world that, you know, loyalty doesn't really exist nowadays, so money talks. Yeah. And I think I think if Juventus want to, they can definitely offer the money that Koulibaly wants and Napoli wants. Now, I don't know how much she's worth, per se. I mean, what was it? You said $30 million that Juventus were offering him? I mean, it could be a, maybe a bit more, maybe 40 but maybe that's the most I would pay. I mean, I would have to really dig deep if I would pay that much for him as well, maybe a bit more, but I think it's reasonable that Juve can get that. And, and mind you, you know, if if they do get, like, hypothetically speaking, if they were to get him for $40 million and they sell Delic for 80 I mean, you still have $40 million to use for, for a, a good center back. I mean, I think the big one that I think a lot of people have been um, – really been interested in him, but I don't know if he's going to be heading off to, to Juventus as a, as Bremer, the, the, mm. the Torino center back who's had a really great season um, last season. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they might get their way. I think Bayern will get their way. And, and really the big losers here are Chelsea because yeah. even though they're going to probably get someone like Raheem Sterling and we'll see what happens with Cristiano Ronaldo, but this is not a, a good way to, for Todd Bowley, the new owner, to really introduce himself uh, to the Chelsea fans and to the entire world in getting these cl- these top-class signings because, you know, getting the lick would be a top-class signing. I mean, young defender um, has done it at Ajax, has done it at Juve. I think getting him would be a really big plus of confidence for for Chelsea and their new board, and if they're not able to get that and, and to get beaten by Bayern, it, it would be a big blow for them. Yeah, you bring up a good point about Chelsea. Um, one thing I want to add before we jump over to Lewandowski is uh, Chelsea, the way they lost Antonio Rudiger uh, was that he had an expiring contract, and Rudiger's deal to Real Madrid was already done uh, in January. So obviously they couldn't announce it or move it until the, the, um, until the summer, but it was uh, a situation where because his, his contract was expiring within six months, they were able to start negotiations once that January window hit. Now, going into this January, uh, and, I, and again, this is from what I heard from SiriusXM FC this, uh, this week, Chelsea have seven contracts expiring uh, next year, including N'Golo Kante, Jorginho, and I think there were a few others. There are, you know, there are massive issues at, at Chelsea. You know, th- this didn't help. The whole Abramovich thing didn't help. And it, they're going to need to nail down some of those players. And if they don't, they could be looking at another Rudiger situation. So as, as 
focused as they might be on on Delict coming in to replace Rudiger, they might have an even bigger problem coming into the coming into January during the World Cup or after the World Cup because they might they might lose you know half their team. Um, so you know the talk of bringing Cristiano Ronaldo, I know we've heard that rumor um, to Chelsea, you know, is, is one thing, but I, I think ultimately Chelsea have to watch their steps and maybe. Uh, if they can't focus on everything at once, maybe give up the delict chase to make sure that at least they focus on what they've got to, to be able to keep it. So we'll have to see how that uh, works out. Let's <clears throat> excuse me. Let's move on to the other part of the Bayern Munich saga. Uh, they, they've obviously brought in Sadio Mane. Uh, Robert Lewandowski's already told the team that he wants to leave. He's basically told the team he only wants Barcelona. Now, Barcelona, as we know, are, are quite cash strapped and um, looking at their transfer window so far this season, they've. They're actually plus 13 million pounds, which is it sounds crazy to talk about Barcelona making money in the window at the moment. But um, selling uh, Philip Coutinho, uh, like I said they, earlier, they they loaned Lingley out to, to uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, to Adama Traore goes back to Wolves um, from his loan spell there. And they brought in Frank Kessie on the free from from Milan, which I think was a big deal. You know, Kessie's only 25 years old. He had a great season for AC Milan uh, this year. So to bring him in was was fantastic. They bring in Andreas Christensen, one of those players from uh, from Chelsea um, as a defender. So they do him on a free as well. And they bring in Pablo Torre from Santander from um, down in Argentina. Um I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I think uh, Santander is uh, in Spain, uh, but they bring him in for four million euro as a midfielder. Um, you know, so to bring somebody like that in, they haven't made the big splash. They've made money, and according to the front office in Barca, they still need to sell pieces to be able to do something big like Lewandowski. So now you ask about Usman Dembele. You ask about a few other players and what's going to happen with them. The Frankie De Jong saga is still going on between De Jong and possibly moving to United, and United's a whole cluster that we could talk about later on, but. Um, what are your thoughts on this happening, especially now that PSG have been sitting there watching this saga go on and go, you know what, we've got buckets full of money and let's just throw something at, uh, at Lewandowski because let's give him an option B and make it tougher on Barcelona. And now where we talked about Juve sitting with the delict situation, Bar- um, Bayern Munich are kind of in a nice little situation to sell Robert Lewandowski, certainly one of the greatest, um, strikers, number nines of this era, um, what are your thoughts on on this whole saga? Yeah, it's really weird to really see what happens um, from all this because <laughs> honestly, Joe, I mean, I think it would be really dumb of Lewandowski to go to PSG because we're going to play him. And yeah. is he going to start? Probably not, considering uh, you got one player that literally just now basically has control of, of what <laughs> what everything goes at PSG. And I'm talking about Kylian Mbappe. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I mean, look, I think Barcelona, I agree, but they are a mess and they're, they're trying to find a good way to do this. But I think there really is that kind of domino effect of like what's going to happen with the young, what's going to happen to Levin, um, not to Lewandowski, but to Dembele, Usman Dembele, because many people say that he might stay and, and maybe he's also interested. Um, and I saw that they're probably interested in getting someone like Rafinha as well from Leeds United at um, teams like. Um, Arsenal and, and Chelsea wants so yeah this is this is turning into quite a, a saga and a mess I would say because you have a lot of these players that they do need to sell they need the money for it and you know their only way that they can get it is from selling these players in Lewandowski's case I mean here's the thing too and this is where I think it's going to be very interesting is like as much as he's not really the main outlier in this What's going to happen with Ronaldo? Because, mind mm. you, he's also linked to Bayern Munich. So, 
if that's the case, then what's the, I mean, for, for Lewandowski's case, I mean, I, I don't think he'll go back and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I want to go back and play at Bayern Munich. I mean, if you said that you want to leave, I think you have to keep your word for it. And, you know, I think from there, Ronaldo, in a perfect world, Ronaldo goes to Bayern, Bayern take Levin, uh, move Lewandowski to Barcelona, and then Barcelona are able to sell the younger or whoever. So, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, it's gonna be very weird, honestly. It's it's a I think it's a lesson to say about like how all these transfer windows have always been kind of like an effect of not having to be run the right way. I mean, yeah, you talk about the the, the Juve saga with the Licht and how Bayern Munich are trying to to get him, and, and you have to look at some of the pieces that they have to move. The Barcelona saga with Lewandowski and, and Bayern and, and and dealing with other clubs is just as worse, man. I mean. I don't know how it's going to pan out. I mean, you would think that Barcelona will find their way to somehow get Lewandowski and then get him to, to play for them. But it's, 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 I think this is going to go down to the wire. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think so, too. And, and again, it's, it's all contingent upon Barca's ability to make some more money um, in this window prior to you know, moving forward with Lewandowski. I mean, let, let's be honest. They need Lewandowski. You know, Barca needs him. They need a lot. They, they, don't, they don't just need Robert Lewandowski. They need a whole ton of stuff. They need, you know, they've got to look at Ter Stegen. I mean, let's be honest. They've got to look at Ter Stegen because he's getting older. So they, they've got to consider that. And, and, and I'm looking long-term Barca, right? They've, they've got to look at um, Gerard Piquet, Samuel Umtiti. They've got to look at their center backs. They've got to, you know, they just got rid of Danny Alves. Um, they do have Serginho Des, but there's been talk of him possibly moving on somewhere. Um, and who knows with Jesse Marsh, he's making Leeds United States of America going on right now in England. So <laughs> you never know if that's a landing spot. But uh, there, there's those positions you know that they need to look at they do need to look at striker uh Adama Traore came in and and did you know pretty well for them but Memphis Depay there's rumors of him moving on you know what are they going to do they're going to need to fill in that spot and uh and a guy like Lewandowski would be fantastic to do that however the guy like Lewandowski also costs a lot of money and they're going to have not only money from the transfer with Bayern Munich because I'm sure I don't even I haven't seen any numbers as to what they're asking for him but there's going to be money there that they need to pay. There's going to be money that they need to pay Lewandowski. Um, and this goes to show you what, what, what poor management of a team in a, in a small window, because we're talking about poor management of Barca, you know, within the past, what, three, four years? Um, I'm looking at, they sold Philip Coutinho to Aston Villa for um, 17 million pounds. They paid 106 million pounds for him from Liverpool. You know, that is not a way to run a club. And and I know that these are the errors of the past that they are trying to fix, but these are the errors of the past that they need to fix. And they're you know it's going to take a lot of time to do that, and they might end up missing on uh, on a guy like uh, on a guy like Lewandowski. Um, but you know, and I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to put it into the universe, and I'm sure Madridistas are going to hate me. But maybe they take two three years to fix this situation, get back on their feet, and and put their books in the black, um, as as accountants would say. And then go after Kylian Mbappe um, when his contract expires at PSG. Maybe that's the play that would be best for them looking long-term. And maybe Lewandowski is not the best long-term solution for them. But again, that would put Barcelona continuously in the Europa picture, right? Which they are now. Um, It would put them continuously possibly in the Conference League. Um, But I don't think it means Champions League, which is where the big money is. So, um, 
you know, now the PSG side of it, I, you know, you bring up a great point. We know that this is Kylian Mbappe FC now. We've, we've pretty much all determined that. And for me, I think the, the, the issue becomes um, Neymar more so than uh, Lewandowski, right? And, and, and just hear me out on this. With, with Kylian Mbappe being able to play on the left wing um, or the right wing, he can play both sides. Messi can play on the right, of course. Uh, none of the three, including Neymar, are true, true number nines. Lewandowski is, is a rare breed, in my opinion. Um, where he is a complete true number nine. Um, you know, Kareem Benzema comes to mind for, for guys like that. We just saw um, Erling Holland move to Manchester City. He becomes that. We saw what missing a true number nine at City can do for you. Uh, so I think that, that he does fit in. If the Neymar loan, Neymar sale rumors are true, I think Lewandowski fits in way better than if Neymar is still there because it allows him to play a, a complete and defined three across the top. And, and a very deadly three at that. And uh, and with a guy like Varati pulling the strings behind them, I think it makes PSG very, very dangerous. So I think the, the PSG thing could happen as long as they figure out the other three, the Messi, Neymar. And again, you know, we could talk about this. Maybe the move is not Neymar. Maybe the move is Messi, right? Maybe the move is... No, I don't think he leaves. No, I, I, I don't think he does either. But I think, you know... When you look at it, Messi's 30, 34, 35, something like that now. Neymar just broke 30 years old. So, you know, you got to look at their ages. How long will these last? And, and, and then maybe Lewandowski comes in for Messi and makes them more of a complete 4-3-3 across the front than kind of this hybrid that what they're doing right now. Um, and then you've also got to wonder, with, uh, with Gautier coming in, what do they look like moving forward? Um, you know, the new manager, Kylian Mbappe's team. PSG is interesting, but I think Lewandowski has made it known that he wants to go to Barcelona. I think Barca have made it known that they want him. It's just a matter of making the numbers work, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a it's it, it's that really. And like I said, it's it's definitely a probably the more interesting saga that we need to follow alongside the Ronaldo one because mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving pieces that go into this. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and Manchester United. That's just I don't know. That's just a uh, that's a whole situation. We don't have an hour to do. And maybe we, we, we get Phil Brown to come on and we can talk uh, United for an hour. But that is that is becoming a mess. And, and we're not going to touch it now, but we, we will eventually have to you know talk about that mess because I think we need to let it fester and cook a little bit more. Yeah, that's it. Let, let, it, let, it, let, it, let, it, let it deal with that yeah, issue whatsoever. Exactly. So let's um, you know what, like we talked about right at the beginning of the show, we've, we do have major competitions going on. We do have the Euros. We do have the, the Copa America for, for both women's, um, women's Euros, women's Copa America. But we also have Copa Libertadores going on. And um, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, Roberto, this, this kind of has flown under the radar for me this year. Usually I'm a little more in tune with, with the Libertadores, but this year it's really flown under the radar. But I did see the major, major story that came out um, as, the, as the round of 16 finished. We're moving into the quarterfinals. We have five Brazilian sides. We have three Argentinian sides, none of which are named Boca Juniors or River Plate, which is shocking. Um, River Plate uh, eliminated by Vélez Sarsfield 1-0 on aggregate. Boca Juniors eliminated by Corinthians 6-5 on penalties after no goals were scored. How did we come to this? And I know we're not going to talk about Cerro Porteño because we're just not going <laughs> to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> but. But my God, Palmeiras is still in the driver's seat. They're the number one seed. They're the defending champions. They are still there. They're going to take on Atletico Mineiro. Um, just an amazing run of, of teams right now. What, what are your thoughts on the Libertadores? 
Well, I mean, looking into this, I mean, I think the bigger shock is there's no other teams from the other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Paraguayan teams there. You had a Colombian. You had an Ecuadorian side. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's it just demonstrates how much of a financial advantage that these Brazilian teams have. I mean, they're the richer than any other team in the continent. Um, I think they understand that, considering they have so much money to to spend and for the Argentina side it's like even though they're in second place the gap is really getting bigger and as big as the gap is getting with all the other South American sides it's you would think that the Argentines and the Brazilians are the ones that they can compete but when you look at how in Argentina it, there is still that kind of disparity you would say like there is still that kind of like surprise and so I'm not too surprised of what happened to Boca and River I mean yes it, it is shocking for them to go out in the way that they did Boca lost to a, a Corinthian side that had a lot of injuries that was mm -hmm. really the underdogs, you would say, going into La Bombonera, um, Dario Benedetto missing two penalties. Uh, Joe, he missed one in in, um, in regular time and also in the penalty shootout. So definitely a, a big achievement for Corinthians to do that and, and qualify. As for River Plate, I mean, yeah, Velas definitely gave him a fight. I mean, there was some controversy on whether or not a penalty should have been made for River Plate in the second leg. Obviously, it wasn't given. But uh, yeah, this is this is a demonstration of I think the Brazilian side just dominating this competition. I mean, you look at some of the teams that are there. Obviously, Palmeiras are looking to three peats. Uh, if you want to know how dominant, like you see them as their as that one seed. I know there isn't there the um, the old format where the top seed takes on the bottom seed and then it moves so on and so forth. But this is a side that scored 33 goals in the Libertadores and they played eight games and they've only conceded I think three goals mm -hmm. in this entire competition. That's a really good record. And yeah, um, it's, it makes sense as to why they're still the, the favorites, in my opinion, to win the, the competition, rightly so. Back-to-back yeah. -back champions want to be a three-peat. That hasn't been done in, I mean, oh God, I want to say since the 70s. We haven't had a, a, a champion become uh, a three-peat winner. But you still have the team like Flamengo, who are obviously very, very strong. They, they, they obviously have the likes of Gabi Gol. Um, they have the experience of a player like David Luis. They just added in um, Joe. They probably will confirm him. Uh, Arturo Vidal, that's obviously right. leaving Inter to go to, to Flamengo. So that's adding even more experience to this team. But then you look at the teams like Atletico Mineiro with the likes of Hulk on there. Um, Atletico Paranaense, coached by Luis Felipe Scolari, so obviously a lot of experience. Corinthians, obviously a, a team that hasn't had that much, I would say, success in the last uh, three, four years, but are always a team that are that are very strong and, and one of the big favorites. Yeah, I mean, I guess my two cents on all this, Joe, and, and this is no disrespect to Estudiantes or, or Talleres or Velasarcio, who, you know, from the Velas Talleres game, we're going to get a semifinalist from Argentina. So you have that, but the winner of that takes on Corinthians Flamengo. Mm -hmm. And then they might take on the winner of Atlético Mineiro against Palmeiras. So my two cents, Joe, I think we're going to have another Brazilian winner in this one because I, I, I just I don't see how any of these Argentina sides can really compete with the, the Brazilian sides. I think the big one is going to be who faces who mm -hmm. uh, in the final. And I think it's going to be a Brazilian side, but my guess and my gut feeling joe is that i think we're going to see a repeat of last year and, and and the repeat being the 2021 libertadores final that saw Padmeiras beat flamingo yeah. i think we're going to have another 
repeated. For some reason, it, it it's reminding me of how the Champions League is like, that we still see some of the same teams from the same countries, like your Real Madrid's, your Liverpool's, your your cities, Bayern's. I, I think you're starting to see that now in, in the Copa Libertadores, where it was always a competition that was always open and, and competitive. But I think now with all this change in, in the money and the, the financial advantages that these teams have I, I think it's starting to to really go into that way that is really giving the advantage to the brazilian sides yeah you know i, I was gonna say first of all going out on uh, going out on a limb to say that we're gonna see a brazilian final is not that thick of a limb or not that not that thin of a limb um i agree with you i do think it's going to be uh, flamingo palmeras i don't see um any of the uh, the three argentinian sides being strong enough to be able to eliminate any of those teams um, moving forward. And, and also, you know, think about you always end up in a cannibalizing situation, right? Where we've got Velez Sarsfield and Talleres, um facing each other in the quarterfinals here, two Argentinian sides, one's going to eliminate the other. So we, we do have that, you know, situation. So we're only going to end up with at best um, two, uh, two Brazilian sides and two Argentinian sides into the semifinals. And by our assessment and prediction, those those Brazilian sides would be Palmeiras and Flamengo because they're on separate sides of the bracket. So I, I think that that is more than likely going to happen. And I think the path is pretty clear for both Palmeiras and Flamengo to be able to get to the final. I think Corinthians will probably give uh, Flamengo a little bit of a battle. Um, but I, I think otherwise, this is this is pretty straightforward for me. And I do think Palmeiras and Flamengo will be the two sides facing each other at the end. Both sides with ex- you know incredible experience like you labeled out uh you know on both sides of the pitch so i i think uh I, and i also think that you're right again that palmettas the way they're playing right now in this competition with the amount of goal scoring that they're doing right now are, are certainly favorites to win that battle if it does get to that type of final um i want to ask you one more thing because i think ultimately up until the round of 16 this was a reasonably um successful run for the paraguayan teams and i you know i want to talk to you about that because as a paraguayan expert um, you know, unfortunately, Olympia are eliminated by, I believe it was Libertad, uh, as they were both in the same group moving into the, uh, the knockout stages, but getting two teams, Cerro Porteño and Libertad into the round of 16, um, I think it's a pretty good accomplishment for them, especially given that, like you said, um, we only saw one team from Ecuador. We only saw one team, uh, from Colombia, uh, moving in. So, you know, no, no Uruguayan sides coming into this, you know, the, the, there's, I think that you're seeing Paraguayan football, you know, take a little bit of a step forward here, which I think bodes well, not only for club, but for country as well. What are your thoughts on, you know, I would, even though it doesn't look successful now, um, but I think this is a a bit of a success, don't you think? Yeah, but I I think it depends on how you measure success. Now, looking at the Sudamericana, which is the, the Europa League equivalent, I mean, there it's a bit more open. You have four Brazilian sides, a Uruguayan side, a Peruvian side, an Ecuadorian, sorry, yeah, an Ecuadorian side, and a, um, a Venezuelan side. Mm. No Paraguayan side either in that one. Has Olympia lost uh, and um, got eliminated too. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just, I, I think, the way you measure success. And mind you, I think obviously now with, like I said, this whole kind of financial advantage or disadvantage, I would say, mm. that they have in comparison to the Brazilian sides and the Argentinian sides. I mean, yeah, it was great that they had two teams from the same country go into the round of 16. They kind of had a favorable draw, considering that Cerro and Olimpia were in the same group with also Nacional of Uruguay and Colón of Argentina. I think if they were in probably a, a group with Brazilian sides, it probably would have been more difficult for them to advance. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I think... 
like I said, it, I guess it, it measure it depends on how you measure success for some of these teams. Some of these teams have never been to a final. I mean, Olympia has uh, have won it many times in their past, so they definitely measure success of saying, "Hey, we want to go and and have a good run." And you know, if we're lucky, we might go to a semifinal or a final. But that's, I think, yeah. I mean, from a reality standpoint and like being absolutely like realistic, it, it's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. It's the best you can do at least for now, considering how financially strong these Brazilian sides are. I mean, these. The, 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 your Corinthians, your Flamingos, Minados, you know, Palmeiras, they have the obligation to win the Copa Libertadores. They go in as favorites always, mm-hmm. and rightly so, because of the teams that they have, the, the financial advantage and, and the depth that they have. For some of these Paraguayan sides, they don't have that. Now, whether or not those fans perceive it differently, where they, you know how it is, Joe, sometimes with some... Um, and you know this as a Juve fan, you know, some people say, yeah, Juve have the history, they've won it so many times. And this is, I'm not making a big comparison or anything like that, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, that kind of thinking, it's like, you know, Juve have a strong side. We know this. But to some of these fans, is it really the obligation to win the Champions League? Now, it was back then when they won all those Scudettos and, and had Cristiano Ronaldo. And, yeah, for them, they need to, need to, but... Comparing them to the teams that are in England, your cities, your Liverpools, your Real Madrids in, in Spain, or your Bayern Munichs, how close of them were they to actually win it? And I think that's where that expectation goes. It's from the expectation from a fan's perspective and then looking at it from a reality standpoint, thinking, hold on, how much better are we in comparison to all these teams? And I think that's where Cedro and a lot of these Paraguayan teams, and even other countries as well, they look to themselves and say, yeah, we have the history, we have the talent, but are we really that realistic into competing with these teams? Now, obviously, any team that competes in these competitions wants to go and win it. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it's just that's kind of the, the, the harsh reality that is happening now in, in South America. Yeah, and I, and I hopefully, you know, not for nothing, but I hope it gets fixed because I think, you know, you have if you have a level financial playing field, we've, and we're seeing this happen in Europe, um, you get a level financial playing field. I, I think it makes for better competition. I think it, it strengthens everybody. So we'll have to see what happens, um, you know, moving forward. But yeah, I think right now the, the big advantage for the Brazilian sides financially um, is leading to them picking up better players, players that will be more effective. You mentioned Arturo Vidal uh, coming to Flamengo. Uh, you know, th- these are the kinds of things that um, strengthen sides with experience and, and, and unfortunately places everybody else at a disadvantage. So, um, before we hit the closing music, my friend, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be back uh, on the weekend of July 30th as we take a couple more weeks off here. Um, and with good reason, you know, I'm going on vacation. You're actually going away as well. I will be at the uh, Inter-Miami-Philadelphia Union match on July 13th, coming up this Wednesday. Um, I'll be there as a fan, not covering the match um, with my family, so I'm really excited for that. You, my friend, are actually covering the Chelsea-Arsenal match in the Florida Cup in Orlando on the 23rd of July. Uh, so that's going to be, um, you know, fantastic. And if you guys want to, if anybody's out there listening wants to meet up with either one of us, drop us a, a message and let us know and we can see if we can make something work out. It would be great. Um, and then we'll be back on the 30th as well to start to preview uh, the European season because it's coming fast and furious. So, my friend, without anything left on the list, uh, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. 
So for episode 361 of Low Limit Football, I'd like to thank you, my friend, Roberto Rojas, for joining me today on the show. Again, we are off a couple of weeks and we will be returning on July 30th to start previewing the European season. And we'll start also recording our previews for the World Cup as we get closer there as well. So for episode 361 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>